0: I'm not thinking. 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 Welcome to episode 37 of the No Need News Podcast. I'm your hostess, Leah Marie, and this week's episode will be talking about code switching and how it impacts our social interactions within and outside the Black community. I hope you guys enjoyed that quick sponsor message. We're going to get right into the show, but before we do, I just want to give you guys a heads up. Um, not a heads up, but you know... Without a, dis- well, a disclaimer, this is gonna be a very open, unscripted um episode compared to the previous ones that I've done. Um to kind of keep our episodes organized, I created a script. To help me follow along, but with this one, given that this is coats, which we're talking about, which is probably a very complex topic. Um, it will be more open, will be a bit more looser. And yeah. So we're gonna get started. First segment, have you heard? In this segment we just discussed topics that you probably have not heard before. Hence, have you heard? Um, so right now we're gonna talk about what code switching is, and we're going to go to our little friend dictionary.com, which has come in clutch. Um for me, for quite a long time, when it comes to up, up different words. And according to goodolddictionary.com, code switching is the alter, alternating of mixed use of two or more languages, especially within the same discourse. It's pretty much in the name code switching. You're switching codes or you're switching languages or different dialects to um, uh, complement a certain environment. Um, that's the definition of what it is um what i didn't realize is that there's also a cultural component um in the cultural sense of code switching and i found this really cool article from uh psychology today which kind of talks more about that um it was written by this lady named Dr. Connor. I cannot pronounce the first name, but Dr. Connor. Um, and she spoke about code switching from a cultural perspective. She defines it as um, cultural code switching. And she writes in her article, quote, I focus on cultural code switching that involves the suppression of multiple aspects of one's cultural identity, which can include type of clothing worn hairstyle, speech, or behavior, end quote. So, cultural code switching is basically switching languages and codes based on the culture, or basically, you know, compromising your culture just to fit into another culture. Um, and we'll talk about more of how that affects, um, us as Black people and the people of color. Also, um... I have attached a YouTube video um, that I found online from, I think, the Huffington Post, which goes more further in depth of what code switching is as well. Um, So you'll find that um, below in the show notes um, if you want to learn more. So now that we understand what code switching is, we're going to dive right into the history of code switching in our next segment, FYI. Information. So now we're gonna get right into the next segment. FYI, um, for your information, and this is the segment where I inform you on topics that you probably shouldn't or you may not know. I wasn't educated properly in one. So now we're gonna go right into the history of code switching. So I think I might have attached the same video twice about code switching, but you guys get the drift. Um, I found this really dope article from yesmagazine.org which details one um, young lady's experience of code switching um, as an instructor of color in a white classroom, and it's very relatable. Based on the first paragraph alone, right off the gates, um, she just gets right into how her experience with code switching has kind of made her felt like she'd had abandoned her culture in a sense. And I'll read the first paragraph to you to kind of uh illustrate my point and trust me, I think it might resonate with some of you. Um This article entitled, Code Switching is not, not entitled, but titled, Code Switching is not trying to fit into white culture, it's surviving it. It was an opinion article written by Miss Ida Harris. Um, you should give it a read. But, um, let me read the first paragraph to kind of tell you what I mean. Quote, the voice that sprung from my throat was unfamiliar as I introduced myself to a classroom of white students its tone was high-pitched, enthusiastic, a far cry from my naturally soft raspiness." End quote. So Ms. Harris, um, in this first paragraph alone, she just details, you know, the moment when she started to code switch and she basically explains how she had to alter her voice just to appeal and relate to those students. Um. and just reading that I can imagine and sense the overwhelming anxiety and possible intimidation standing up there having all those white students look at you feeling like you're ostracized or like you're under some kind of microscope and the thing is though she was an educator and she had to switch up her language appropriately just educate those students and she shouldn't have to feel intimidated because she's teaching them something but she's the only teacher of color in there so I definitely can imagine I may not relate it from an educator experience but I know as a student I've had to experience something like that as well and I'll read the next paragraph just to um, explain further what I mean, quote, it wasn't the first time I was unsettled by being the sole black person in a room, but these moments had a profound effect on me. Without thought, I shifted my demeanor and speech. My thoughts were calculated, quickened, and in search of the right things to say. The words poured from my mouth, pointed and stiff. I enunciated each consonant and vowel, and stressed each syllable. The production of it all though a departure from my normal self was seamless. End quote. Basically to reiterate the point that I said earlier, she had to change her thoughts, had to change her behavior, you know, to being professional and basically flawless. And I get it, in professional settings and corporate settings, you're gonna have to talk and display professionalism to a certain extent. You have to. When it comes to territory. But at the same time, it it just feels performative in a way because you're having to basically put on this act, you know, to show to your coworkers or counterparts, anybody in that space that, you know, you're professional, you know what to say and how you're supposed to say it, um, all for the sake of getting money. Um, but in this sense, Miss Harris felt like she was abandoning herself in, for the sake of professionalism. Then later in the article, she writes how she basically felt, like I said before, she felt ashamed. She felt she was selling herself short by trying to simulate into you know, white culture. And in the sense, the space of education and teaching and learning. But it really gets to my goal. She was an authority figure. She, she, she was a teacher. She shouldn't have felt intimidated. But in that moment, she was. And further on the article, she kind of explains, Ms. Herazette that is you no know, code switching. And what's really crazy is that um, towards the end of the article, She she says that you know code switching in her pain is mainly about surviving, and she's right. Our people, we had to code switch to save our lives. We had to code switch ever since they stole us from—not stole us. Look at me speaking bad English. Ever since they stole us from you know our ancestral home, code switch. And I'll be honest with you, I, I got a code switch too. <laughs> I find myself doing it, like seamlessly, without any thought. It's like second nature to us, as long as we can survive. And I'll explain more about my personal experiences, but we're going to go further into the history of code switching. But that was Miss Harris's experience from Yes Magazine um, with code switching as an educator. Um, I've also attached a couple more YouTube videos that go further into what the african-american dialect is and how it was formed there was one really good one that i had to listen like over and over again. Well, twice it was this um record album from like the early 70s which literally gives a breakdown about you know the african-american dialect and the narrator gives like a bunch of examples you'll hear little skits here and there that um explain how we spoke to each other interacted with each other versus how we interacted you know like with white employers and white counterparts and then there's another really cool um youtube video from bt that kind of goes further into um the same thing how um ebonics was developed or black english so to speak y'all will enjoy it it's pretty relatable so now i want to get into the media aspect um how code switching um is um performed in the media and one example that i know that comes to mind this is going to be co-fiction within you know um the black community and really as it relates to classism the fresh prince of bel-air um, I'm a fan. I'm sure y'all are fans of the show, too, for those that watch the old version, new version. Similar storylines. You have Will Smith from West Philadelphia. He gets a little trouble at home. His mom turns him out to Bel Air and searches better life with his aunt and his uncle and his cousins. And at first, he wasn't too keen on the lifestyle. But over the course of time throughout the, you know, the series, old and new, um, Will learns how to adjust accordingly to the Bel Air lifestyle without, you know, forgetting where he came from. But that doesn't mean he has trouble along the way with finding out who he is. Um, And there were a couple clips, um, one from one of the episodes from the original comedy series and the other one from the new drama series, which is Screaming a Peacock. Y'all better watch. Um, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but you'll see, (laughs) or will, you know, um, he kind of struggles, you know, with his sense of self, Like... Know, i'm pretty sure y'all probably can relate you're new to a certain area you kind of feel homesick you want to kind of preserve your culture as much as you can or whatever way of life you had back home but at the same time you want to be able to try to learn how to adjust to your new area um but it does feel like some sort of identity crisis but you'll see what i mean in those two clips that I've attached um but um the next um, aspect of code switching is in politics and sports and one really good example, obvious example, a viral example, so to speak, um, a little over 10 years ago, um, former President Obama, um, he, um, there was a video of him going viral where he was greeting the U.S. Um, Olympic basketball team um, and the coaches um, in a different manner um so in the viral clip which is also attached here from youtube um um president obama was seen dapping up the u.s basketball u.s olympic team basketball players you know dapping them up and then with the head coaches he just gives them a handshake and say hi how are you you know um but you kind of see that is one obvious example of code switching um so there you have it um That's code switching in politics, sports, and media. Now we're going to talk about how code switching impacts um, us mentally. And there is a psychological toll that code switching takes on us. And two really awesome articles, one from the Harvard Business Review and the other one from Talkspace, kind of goes in depth about the um, cost of code switching. Um, The Harvard article... It talks about code switching from the pros and cons of code switching from a workplace aspect, and talk space kind of goes into the mental health aspect of it. Um, those articles are also they will also be attached for your reading pleasure. But let's see if we can give a few examples. Um, so from the Harvard Business Review, oh no, this is the Talkspace one, let's bring it back. There we go. So from the Harvard one, I finally found the article, guys. Um, I'm going to kind of outline the ups and downsides of code switching in this article this is based on workplace research um and in the harvard this review um the writer says quote workplace research suggests that code switching can generate both positive and negative outcomes for black employees in our review of the existing literature, we identified three main reasons people code switch in the workplace. For black people and other racial minorities, downplaying membership in a stigmatized racial group helps increase perceptions of professionalism and the likelihood of being hired. Two, avoiding negative stereotypes associated with black racial identity helps black employees be seen as leaders. Three, expressing shared interest with members of Similarity with powerful organizational members, which raises the chance of promotions because individuals tend to the people they perceive as similar. End quote. Those are the upsides. So we're going to look at the downsides right now. Um, so another example in this article would be, quote, downplaying one's racial group can generate hostility from in-group members, increasing the likelihood that those who code-switch will be accused of acting white. Seeking to avoid stereotypes is hard work and can deplete cognitive resources and hinder performance. Feigning commonality with coworkers also reduces authentic self-expression and contributes to burnout, end quote. So that's the downside of code-switching. And I know, like, when it comes to our community, the like, black community, like, if we're trying to make it up in the world, um, we kind of have this crabs in the barrel mentality, like, oh, because you're acting a certain way, you're acting good, and you think you're better than us. That's kind of some of the attitude we get from some of our folks. Um, and it can also create resentment, because, you know, you're acting the professional way, and you don't want to associate yourself with negative stereotypes. But at the same time, to those of us in the community, it may seem like, oh, you're an Oreo. You're, you're acting white. And it's, it's a whole bunch of nonsense. But at the same time, in that area, in that instance where you're code switching, you'll feel like you're being you know, thinking, inauthentic or you're being performed because you're trying so hard to maintain the professionalism that you're failing to let people see your true authenticity and it can leave you just feeling hell or like you don't have a sense of who you are so i I get it um while it's good to code switch it it just it just takes a toll on you at the end of the day because it feels like you're having to put on an act or something so that's kind of the cost of it the downside of that And then we're going to explore the mental health aspect of that from uh, Talkspace. Talkspace, there it is, there's an article. So from Talkspace um, explains what code switching is. It gives examples of how you're code switching in different groups, um, whether you're bilingual, obviously, as a person of color. Um, And now we're going to get into the behavioral sense of how uh, code switching affects others um so in this article it says quote not only does code switching mean modifying your speech to adapt to social cultural norms and not commonly means changing your behavior to suit the setting of the circumstances It could involve towing down a part of your personality or an aspect of yourself to fit in. For people from minority groups, it could mean adopting an introverted personality in formal situations to keep from drawing too much attention to themselves. While this may not always be the same thing as code switching, it can be seen as an offshoot of the code switching process. End quote. Um, so, there you have it. Um, code switching doesn't always, in this sense from the Talkspace article, code switching doesn't always have to be related to just speech. It can relate to your behavior as well. Um, And everything part of the article says is true. Like sometimes you have to switch up your personality or you have to be mindful, a bit extra visual of your behaviors in certain settings. Um, in the case of social settings, learning how to read the room, um, knowing what the atmosphere is like with certain people, because um, you come up in a certain social setting and act in any other kind of way, people will not gravitate towards you. But if you kind of get a good sense of what the setting's like, then people will gravitate towards you. And I know in the sense of, you know, being a minority, like... At a formal setting, you can't come up in there all out, but you know, if you're kind of chill, you know, then that you know, you'll be more accepting. But that in itself is kind of different, Um, and there are like some exceptions, like you know, sometimes. (laughs) We need to have a little bit of personality. We need to have a little bit of fun because it kind of makes, you know, sometimes formal um, settings be a bit more livelier. So like every now and then you'll need like a lively personality. Sometimes you'll need a lively party in certain settings. Like it doesn't have to be so formal all the time. There's got to be a sense of balance, things of that sort. And this is going to lead me right to the uh, last point, um, ways we can deal with code switching and I found this really cool article, it's from Forbes, it talks about, um, how to do a co-switching from a place of intention, um, and in this article, the writer talks, kind of talks about, um, certain identities that people have, our absolute identities, and our. um, Contextual identities. Um, Your absolute identity is who you are at the core. Your contextual identity is um, who you present, the person you present to the world. And he explains how it relates to code switching. Um, And we're going to get right to the bread and butter or the potatoes of this article. And um, basically, he explains ways we can incorporate our identity, or T's, with code switching. Um, And he writes, quote, When we consciously explore and deploy the roles we can play in our lives, we have a better opportunity to align them with our absolute identity. Rather than seeing code switching as an external imposition, we can strategically determine how we want to switch, what aspects of our context complement our aspirations. We need to ask ourselves to what extent we are able to be authentic in our various roles. If we fail to account for authenticity, if our actions, nope, if our interactions are pure performance, we can miss out on connections, insights, and opportunities because we are too focused on the superficial role. In addition, there's a personal psychic training in authentic performance. End quote. That's a lot of academic jargon. even I can't even understand, but I guess what he's saying is that there are ways we can, you know, still co-switch without, you know, forfeiting our true selves. There's got to be some sense of balance. There's a place and time to use certain languages demeanors, and there's a place where, you know, you don't have to. But if we're so focused on trying to be polished and perfect in our speech and attitudes, it will come off as fake and superficial. That hit home. And that's something that I am working on. I'm not gonna lie to you. Um but all in all, um even though code switching we've had to have survival, there are ways you can combat it so many ways. Um but that's kind of it on the history of code switching we're going to get right into the last segment of our show today daily news things where i just share my personal take on you know certain topics so you know the day so right now i'm going to get right into my personal experiences with code switching both professionally and personally I'll give you a couple examples um i come from two different cultures um I am black, but I am also Jamaican. My mom is from, you know, the South. My dad is from Jamaica, pickups to Jamaica. Um, growing up two different cultures. Um, my dad, um, he's been in this country for quite a long time, and you know, mom, <laughs> she's been here too. But we've learned um, how to blend our cultures together. Um, I'm the best of both worlds. Um, good Southern cooking, good Jamaican cooking. And I learned how to, you know, just peacefully coexist in these two cultures. I'm proud to be part of them. Um, I know within, you know, the traditional Black American Southern culture, uh, my my Southern relatives, you know, they speak their mind, they they tell it like it is, and they'll tell you to your face, (laughs) very down to earth on, you know, On my, you know, Jamaican relatives, you know, they'll they'll have long, very lengthy but meaningful conversations about anything, any topic. Um, But I guess they're a bit more reserved. But all in all, um, you know, coming from two different cultures, there are two different, you know, styles. Um, You know, I've I've observed this when my father's around his people, he'll, you know, talk in Padua, you know, just like flow. And you know, sometimes um, I may mean, not understand. I sometimes I say, "Hey, Dad, what what does that mean? What what, what does this mean? <laughs> what you talk about?" <laughs> and my mom's side, you know, they just talk it up. Um, they'll have long, you know, conversations too. They'll laugh. They'll they'll dance, have a good time, and they have their own little dialogue going on sometimes I'll just say well, what is she talking about? You know, trying to keep with the conversation. like, well, what what does that mean? <laughs> so, you know, I'm proud to come from two different cultures. Um and yeah we we just learn how to adapt. And I'm just glad to be a Afro Caribbean in this country. Um but that's on that we're growing up in as a Jamaican, you know, African American now Last point, well not the last point, but the second last point I made is um, having to go to a PWI, um, so I attended Stevenson student's university, um, the place in Baltimore County, um, really good school though, great school, um, so basically I went to a PWI, different scene, different atmosphere, it seemed like a different world, like a home away from home in a sense. Um, Obviously, have a lot of white students. Um, I'm not gonna lie, like every other college student, you know, you're away from home for the first time. It's a different world. Um, see what I did there. <laughs> and having to adjust, it was kind of a culture shock. because there was you know, a lot of kids that didn't look like me, but you know, I was determined to make the most of my time there. Um, I was involved with a lot of you know extracurricular activities there. Um, yeah, dealing with the classes and um, having to deal with the professors and the students. And I mean, overall, it, it was good. But, you know, there I, there were instances where I, I did have to code switch, you know, especially in talking with the professors and dealing with the office hours and the advisors. I had to kind of watch my words, watch the language that I use. I had to kind of talk in, I guess, like Ms. Harris from the Yes Magazine article in a more calculated way whether you were to relate and understand me. Um, I've written plenty of emails as well. I had to kind of write them in a professional manner. Um, But even with the other students, um, you know, there are other students of color, minorities, and everything of that sort that were welcome at the school. I've dealt with them, I interacted with them in a certain way, Um, but especially, you know, my fellow white students, um, I had to, even still, like, talk in a certain kind of way just to kinda of make myself more friendly, more relatable and I will say, um there were times when I felt lonely because you know they're at a white school, you know, and you feel like, you know, you're the only one there, but there were other kids as well that may have felt the same way. But overall, like I had a good experience there. Um I, I got my degree. I didn't need to be done. Learn lessons along the way. Um, and yeah, uh, my expensive PDF, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, and I kind of prepared me. It was kind of a microcosm of the real world, so to speak, because that's um, the environment that I'm kind of in right now. So I'm glad Steve's kind of prepared me in a way to, to be ready for the workforce and deal with the real world. And really, what I learned from being at and college in general was just knowing how to interact with people and deal with people from different backgrounds. That's kind of the biggest lesson because how I interact with people affected every area of my life up at school, whether it was academics, whether it was student life, whether it was um, mental health or, you know, from exercise and the diet, all of that. All of that was impacting how I interact with people up at school. So that was my experience at PWI. We're going to get right into how I am becoming a bit more down to earth and more approachable. So I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm a very introverted person. If you get to meet me, um, very observant too. Um, I like to, especially in this time... <laughs> But I like to observe and, and watch people, even before I meet them. Like, okay, what's this person like? How are they gonna act when they approach me? But now, I'm starting to kind of hold myself accountable with how I act. Um, so, right now, whenever I'm meeting people, I of level of what I will say and how I will say it. Like, okay, if I say this, um, will it further enhance the conversation or will it just deplete the conversation how is this related to the conversation um what is my body language how am I feeling how am I reacting towards this person so I'm starting to think more about all those things because what, what I don't realize is that you know people pick up on nonverbal cues um um including verbal cues but more so body language is a you know a big factor so like I'm learning as I go along how to be a bit more authentic um, and more effective in my communication because I know sometimes I can be long-winded and talking riddles and parables and rhymes <laughs> and all the above when it's just important to just get right down to the point. However, um, it's the code switching. Um, if I'm in a professional environment and, like, if it's, like, kind of an awkward situation, what I'll do is, like, every now and then I'll, like, crack a joke or something just to kind of, like, make a little moment of, levity, um, but I know when to keep it professional, trust and believe, like, knowing how to read the room, is something I have to learn over over time, too, because there were plenty of times when, um, you know, I I, I got into awkward social situations, because, you know, I wasn't in tune with what was going on in the social atmosphere, but now I am learning, and also, um, yeah, that's pretty much it, um, when it comes to code switching, um, hopefully I didn't ramble on too much. Um, yeah, I keep saying, um, let me stop saying that. That's one of my favorite filler words. But anywho, thanks so much for hanging with me today. Your host is Leah Marie. Once again, please remember to like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast. We started experimenting with the question poll feature, which can be found on the Anchor or Spotify app. And I have decided to start posting the question or post the week at the end of our episodes. This week's question is how has code switching impacted your social interactions? I am eager to hear your feedback. Also, any links used as sources will be posted in the show notes as well. For business inquiries, please send us an email at melaninus20 at gmail.com. See you in the next episode.